Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of this empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're able to say of the founder of our faith that he is alive. The only founder of any faith that we could say that about right now, that he is alive. And we thank you so much for your resurrection power. Lord, that death could not defeat you, that you took your life from death. You gave your life willingly to death on our behalf, but you took it up again by taking your life back from death under your own power so that we could live in freedom. We celebrate that today. We ask in Jesus' name that hearts would be changed today and I would be able to deliver this message in a way that honors you honors the empty tomb. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So in our Easter story, we have Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, which is a prophetic uh, scripture in the Old Testament that tells what the Messiah is going to look like. In many cases in Jesus' ministry, he told people when he healed them, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Kind of keep it on the down low. And the reason he did that is he didn't want everything to get in an uproar. Everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him. And he wanted to do stretch it out as much as he could until the last minute to keep giving people the message of hope. But now, when he rides in on this donkey, uh, on Passover week where there's two million people in Jerusalem, he's fulfilling this prophecy clearly. He's not speaking in parables at this point. He's just coming straight out saying, look, I'm the Messiah. I know you're going to kill me in just a few days. I know you're going to kill me in five days from now. So deal with it. I'm the Messiah. You can get as mad as you want to. So we move from Palm Sunday, that scene where Jesus is not just a victim of circumstance, I'll have you know, and all the things that happened to him, but he's pushing these things forward. He knows these things are going to happen. He's stepping right into them. On Maundy Thursday, which is called Maundy Thursday from the Latin word mandate, the Christian church celebrates Maundy Thursday as a whole, and we talk about the Last Supper. We talk about the great mandate that Jesus gave the disciples to love one another as they have been, as, as he has loved them. Uh, Jesus goes and tells Judas at that dinner, he says, look, go and do what you're going to do. I know you're going to betray me. So once again, Jesus is not a victim of circumstance. He's pushing all these things forward. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He starts sweating blood, which is a condition called hematidrosis, which is experienced by many hostage situations. Your capillaries will burst, and instead of sweat coming out of your sweat glands, blood will come out because you're so stressed out. This is Jesus in the garden. And he's betrayed in the garden. And he gets arrested and, and tried and some ridiculous kangaroo court where they're trying to bring all these charges and accusations against him that are not real. They just have to lie and invent a bunch of stuff that's not true. He's convicted. He's sent to a place called Gabbatha where he's whipped publicly. Gabbatha means the pavement. And in his whipping, there are many scholars that say that most people that got whipped in that way 39 times would die from blood loss. Then he has to carry his own cross. We've heard from scripture that you couldn't even tell if he was a man or a woman at this point Jesus is so tortured physically to fulfill Isaiah 53 and 5 he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed and he carries his own cross his own instrument of death up to Golgotha outside of the city 
God where he's crucified between two thieves. Crucifixion was the most barbaric form of execution the Romans had ever invented. You're, you're hanging a man up on a cross and you actually, when I was a kid, I thought you died because it hurt so bad or because you bled out of your, your hands and feet. But in essence, the reason it's so cruel is you don't die from that. You don't die from the pain. You don't die from the blood that you're losing because of the way they nail it to you. You actually die from asphyxiation, unable to breathe because of the way you're hanging, you have to push yourself up in order to take a breath because your lungs are compressed. And when you finally lose enough strength, you're unable to push yourself up and your lungs compress and you can't breathe one more breath of air. That's how our Savior died. He died for us. As a matter of fact, Friday night, I had an opportunity to talk about that the greatest punishment Jesus endured was probably not even the physical suffering he went through. And it's, it's, it's unimaginable what he went through physically, but it's the fact that he took upon himself the wrath of his father, God. God does not appreciate sin. He does not partner with sin. He does not allow sin. And what happened is Jesus attached sin to his own name and the greatest suffering Jesus went through is when he looked up at God, his father, as an innocent man. And he said, my father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the anger and the wrath of God against humanity was levied against Jesus on the cross. So now all these events have taken place. I just described. Can you imagine being a disciple? watching all this stuff go down. You've heard Jesus say all these extraordinary things about what he's gonna do. He said things like, I'm gonna tear this temple down in three days, I'll build it back up again. You've heard him say things like, the son of man must be delivered to the chief scribes and must be crucified and I'll raise up on the third day. You've heard him say things like this. But at what point do you think that, maybe it's like an analogy for something, and, but maybe he's actually serious and, and, and now, now they take him down from the cross and Joseph of Arimathea, puts him in this grave and some Roman soldiers are told to guard the grave and to seal the grave and now there's just this calm and this quiet everything went quiet have you ever got your hopes up about something in life and right when you felt like it was ready to come together everything goes quiet has that ever happened to you before maybe your phone stops ringing you don't get the emails you're looking for everything goes quiet that's the scene and the setting for our resurrection story this morning. I'm gonna read the resurrection story from John chapter 20, the whole chapter out of the message version, and it's, it's really beautiful. The reason I say our resurrection story is it is about us. It's not just about these characters that we're reading about. We are these characters. These are not just characters, these are historical figures. This is not a story. This is something that actually happened. It's the difference in our faith and every other faith. This is real. If you don't think it's you in the story, then read it again, and then read it again, and read it again, until you realize it's about all of us. John chapter 20 says this, early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Stopping to look in, he saw pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there in the kerchief, used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate. 
neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. So John, who calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, he's, he's writing this. He also finds it important to let you know that he outran Peter to the tomb. I think that's, that's worth noting. I mean, maybe he had a little humility problem there. I'm not sure about that. Or a little competition with Peter going on. It says that they look at these at the clothes, and, and I've heard some theologians say that basically the way they were laying to them appeared as if whoever had been in them had just vanished, and they just fell straight down. So John is saying that when he sees this, he believes, but what's interesting is he doesn't say what he believes. I think it's more of just, an, and he doesn't say this out loud, he just sort of believes in his heart. So all these great heroes of the faith are maybe not as heroic as you think in the moment, maybe when they look back on it, they think they believed a little more than they did in the particular situation. And it says that he looked and he believed. No one yet knew from scripture that he had to rise from the dead. This is John being honest. I love this about the Bible, that the Bible is honest. It says we didn't know that he had to rise from the dead. We, fit, we pieced all this stuff together. I mean, we remembered he said all this stuff, but we didn't really understand what he meant until he actually did it. It says the disciples then went back home. I love this about Mary, though. Verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. She's the one who discovered it empty, went to get them. They came back. They're like, ah, oh, he's not here. They go home. She stays. It says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look in the tomb and saw two angels sitting there dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, talk about mistaken identity, said, mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. And Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabbani, meaning teacher, Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples. I saw the master. And she told them everything he said to her. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful for the Jews had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples seeing the master with their own eyes were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. Just as the father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you gonna do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. He said, Unless I see the holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving, belief. Thomas said, my master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store who for people who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. 
These are written down so you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. Can we give the Lord a praise? He's alive today on Easter Sunday. Jesus goes on to appear to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. Historically, this is very important. We have a variety of different people who saw Jesus alive post-resurrection. That's important from a historical standpoint, that we have validation that Jesus did what he said that he was going to do. What I love about the stories that we see in this passage, John chapter 20, is that we find that Jesus is coming to people, finding people post-resurrection in various phases of pain and failure. And in their lives, whatever is broken and whatever is hurting and whatever is dying in their life, he makes it come alive. I love in John chapter 11, verse 25, when Jesus is about to raise Lazarus, he turns to Martha who is there and he tells Martha, he says, hey, by the way, I'm not, I don't just do resurrections. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at someone next to you say, Jesus is the resurrection. The resurrection is not just an event we celebrate. The resurrection is not just an event. It's a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus' name is the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection. Jesus who is alive today. So the name of my message this morning is I didn't find the resurrection. The resurrection found me. I didn't find the resurrection. The resurrection found me. And I want to give you a few ways from this chapter that we see that the resurrection finds us. Number one, the resurrection finds us in our brokenness. Number two, the resurrection finds us in our fear. Number three, the resurrection finds us in our doubt. Number one, it finds us in our brokenness. Finds it, two, finds us in our fear. Three, finds us in our doubt. Number one, the resurrection finds us in our brokenness. Mary Magdalene. At the beginning of this story, she's coming to take care of the body of Jesus. Why is this significant that the first person to see Jesus is a woman? Well, one of the first critiques that was ever written against Christianity in about 400 AD from an academic standpoint, people were criticizing like crazy the fact that the first people that supposedly encountered resurrected Jesus was women. Because at the time, women were not regarded publicly to have an opinion that was worth listening to. As a matter of fact, they weren't even admissible to give testimony in court. So what, what these people were saying about Christianity is obviously it's not true. The story comes from women. So you can't trust it. And what I, what I love about the Bible is if the Bible were not true, there's no way they ever would have written that it was women who discovered Jesus. But since it is true, they just went ahead and tell what actually happened. The first person that ever saw resurrected Jesus was a little lady who got seven demons cast out of her by Jesus many years before. I love the fact that our glorious Messiah comes to the most broken people in the most broken situation who have the roughest past and he reveals his goodness and favor and glory. Can somebody give God a praise on a Sunday morning today? Come on, look at someone and say, it's Easter, y'all. My goodness, Mary Magdalene is the first one to see him. She's this broken woman who had nothing. She had seven devils and he cast those out 
And she followed him for years. It was one of his biggest supporters and now her heart is broken. And all she knows how to do is come be kind to Jesus and help take care of his body. And she's broken hearted because she thinks that grave robbers have taken him and are gonna further humiliate him. And her, you know, she goes and she sees that it's empty. It's, it's, the stone's rolled away. She goes and gets his disciples. They look, they leave, and here she is crying. And then she sees two angels and they say, why are you weeping? She said, where is he? Then all of a sudden she turns and sees Jesus. Remember I told you the resurrection finds us in our brokenness. She's so brokenhearted that she doesn't even realize Jesus is standing right there. I wonder how many people here today might be so brokenhearted that you don't realize that Jesus is standing right there. But what I love about the resurrection is he finds us in our most broken situation. And I love the way he reached her. He didn't say, hey Mary, (laughs) I'm not the gardener, take a closer look. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He just said, Mary. He spoke her name. I love that about the Lord. The Lord wants to speak your name in a way today that reminds you of who you are in Him. There is a relationship that you have to Jesus. There is a a whole life that you begin to live when you define yourself by who He calls you. Life is supposed to look like that. It's supposed to feel like that in the moment that He speaks her name. Mary, the Bible says that she turns and she says, Rabbani. She calls him the name that basically you call him when you first start following him. Are you brokenhearted today? Well, the resurrection means hope is always greater than sorrow. It means that it's never over with Jesus. He reminds her of who she is in him. So the resurrection finds us in our brokenness. Number two, the resurrection finds us in our fear. In the story, we move on to the disciples, the big tough disciples. I mean, yeah, they went on to do amazing things. They all died martyr deaths. For Jesus. I'm not making fun of them, but I'm saying they're supposed to be the big tough disciples who've been with Jesus all these years. Where do they find themselves on resurrection day? Locked in a room, afraid they're going to be killed by the same people that killed Jesus. And behind locked doors, in their fear, Jesus comes into the midst of them. So the resurrection not only finds us in our brokenness, the resurrection finds us in the middle of our fear. You know, fear is the absence of peace. Have you ever been up all night fearful about something? Raise your hand if you've ever been up worried about something all night. You know what's happened is your peace has been taken from you. Your peace and your security has been taken from you. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus comes into the middle of their fear. And what does he say to them? He says, peace to you. He speaks the very thing that is missing in their life. I wonder if you're living in fear today. Maybe on Resurrection Sunday, you're fearful over a report you've got. Maybe you're fearful over the way it looks like the trajectory of your life is going. Maybe you're fearful that you're going to lose a spouse or lose a loved one or something in your life isn't going to work. And maybe you've allowed your peace to be taken from from you. What I love about Jesus is that Jesus comes into the middle of that locked room. We've shut everybody out. And he says, you've shut everyone out. I'm just going to come on in and speak the very thing over your life that you're missing right now. I'm going to speak some peace over you right now. That's what I love about the resurrection is the resurrection is coming into your world to speak peace. And then finally, what we see in this wonderful resurrection story of John chapter 20 is we see Thomas is a man that's full of doubt. The resurrection finds us in our doubt. Yeah, I said the D word in church, doubt. That's the word that Christians don't like to admit that they have. But it's not true because all of us have it. All of us have experienced doubts in our life. We all struggle with our faith from time to time. Anyone that tells you they don't is just simply lying. It's not true. 
Uh, look at a great man like Thomas. You say, what do you mean a great man like Thomas? He's called Doubting Thomas. Well, did you know that a couple chapters earlier in John chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus was talking about going back to Jerusalem uh, where he was going to heal Lazarus. And they said, hey, are you sure you want to go back there? Last time we were there, people tried to kill you. And Jesus kind of kept on with the conversation. And Thomas jumps in and said, let's go there and die with him. So Thomas is not a pushover. He's a brave man. He's a man that is committed to the Lord. But he's struggling in this moment. He's struggling in this moment and he's having doubts on the day of the resurrection. So much so, have you ever missed a really great church service and everyone lets you know about it when you're not there? It's like, girl, you really missed it on Sunday. Like 1,000 people got saved. You should have been there. I'm telling you, it was on point. We baptized 300 brand new spontaneous people on the spot. That's right. Jesus Christ personally showed up. Well, you know what? I may be joking right now, but this is literally what happened to Thomas. Thomas missed the wrong church service. He was not there the moment that Jesus Christ physically manifests in the room. And what I love about Jesus is the resurrection finds us in our doubt. Eight days later, he comes back and appears in the same room to the disciples. This time, Thomas is there. And Thomas is frustrated. He's got doubt all over his life at the moment. He can't even... He can't even get out of bed to come to the meeting. Maybe some of you are filled with doubt right now. Maybe you're struggling in your faith. Maybe you're not the Christian that you wanted to be or the Christian that you once thought that you were because life came at you in such a hard way that it shook you up and you've had trouble identifying what you're believing. I can relate with you. When I first became a pastor, a senior pastor, my son was dealing with a sickness that multiple people thought he had cystic fibrosis. I had heard they they thought he had tumors. I was dealing with emotional issues that I never even knew that I had. I thought I had such strong faith. My faith was falling apart right in front of me to the point I didn't even know if I wanted to continue. I didn't know if I wanted to continue being a pastor because I had no confidence. I found myself in my closet The day before I was supposed to preach a message and I had the lights out in the closet trying to reconstruct what I actually know about my life. I had to rebuild it from the ground up. And the only conclusion that I could come to of what I had to say, what do I know for sure in this life? I had to reconstruct everything I believe in my life. Yeah, I had doubts. But I think I came to the same conclusion that Peter came to when a bunch of the disciples left and he looked at Peter. He said, what are you going to do too? You going to leave too, man? Just like everyone else did? And I think Peter just said the way I felt at the time. He said, where am I going to go? You're the only one, Jesus, that has eternal life. i got to follow you. You're the only thing I have. Yeah, just because you have doubts, Jesus doesn't give up on you. He encourages you in your doubt. He comes into the middle of your moment and he says, hey, yo, Thomas, I'm here. I heard that you said to somebody, unless you could touch the scars and put your hand in my side, go ahead, do your thing. And Thomas doesn't even have to do it. He goes, my Lord and my God. It convinces him instantly. And I love that, that Jesus is not against evidence. He's not, he provides the evidence. If you're in pursuit of evidence, he's not against the evidence. He provides the evidence. But what I love about what he tells Thomas is there's nothing wrong with evidence. But you only see, you only believe because you've seen. He said, there's something out there that's even greater for those that believe without seeing today. (laughs) So I encourage you today on Resurrection Sunday to realize that the resurrection is not just something that we stumble upon or we find. The resurrection is alive. The resurrection is seeking you out in your worst situation. On the road to Emmaus, two disciples were walking. 
uh, on the day that all this happened. They're talking back and forth about what went on. Jesus walks up behind them and kind of disguises himself. They don't know who he is. He says, what are you guys talking about? They say, oh, well, Jesus Christ, have you heard of what's going on in this town? That Jesus Christ was crucified and they laid him in the grave and we thought he was going to resurrect. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior. Jesus comes to them and starts explaining the scriptures to them. They still don't know who he is until he comes to their house and, and breaks bread with them. Then they recognize him. But the moment they recognize him, he's gone. What I love about that is also shows us the resurrection finds us in our disappointment. They're disappointed. Maybe you're here and you're disappointed today. Then years later, Paul, who, who is Saul at the time, he's on the road to Damascus murdering Christians. He's a Jew that hates Christians. And Jesus appears to him. The resurrection appears to him in his worst moment of his life and says, Paul, why are you going against me? Why, why are you trying to kick against the pricks? He says, it's me, Jesus. And, and Paul turns his whole life over to Jesus. And what I love is the, that that's a final example that Jesus not only... The resurrection not only finds us in our brokenness, not only finds us in our fear, not only finds us in our doubt, not only finds us in our disappointment, but it finds us in our sin. The resurrection comes to even a sinner who doesn't even know anything about God and the resurrection is knocking on the door to your heart tonight. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.